Phil Muncy shared an article about what can you do with a $5 piece of steel. He suggests you can turn it into a $10 horseshoe. You could turn it into several sewing needles worth $300. Or he said you could make springs for expensive watches and turn that $5 piece of steel into $250,000. As he relates, just like the piece of steel every day, can be made more valuable by the choices we make to invest in others with our lives. As we come to this day when we proclaim He is risen, what better day to stop and say, how do I give my life to serve Him more, to change other people's lives, to add value to their lives, and to live more like Christ so that each day I'm taking moment to moment, creating the most value from those days. We'll look at a few parts of Holy Week and Easter and try to understand what the symbolism points to, not just back in the first century, but to today. For instance, before the crucifixion, we're told in Matthew 21, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowd spread their coats in the road. Everything in Scripture has a meaning, a spiritual meaning, meaning an application that goes into the heart of our very lives. Why did they lay clothes or coats at the feet of Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem where he would be tried and crucified and rise again? Well, 2 Kings 9 tells us about a king named Jehu. Jehu lived at the time of Elijah and then his adversary Jezebel. Jehu in 2 Kings 9 tells the people he is to be anointed king of Israel by God's decree. And then we read what happened next. The people then took their cloaks, spread them under him, and shouted, Jehu is king. Same thing happening that we see for Christ took place when Jehu was crowned king in those early centuries. To lay your coat before somebody was to say, I proclaim this person king. It's a show of respect. And for us, the application is, when I come to this day and from this day forward, what do I lay at the feet of Jesus? What do I lay at the feet of Christ? Perhaps we want to stop and say, I want it to be something of real value. I want to lay at him my new commitment, my recommitment. I want to lay at his feet my integrity, lay at his feet holiness. Of course, we also bring the need of our forgiveness of sins Perhaps for the men, you want to say, I want to lay at the feet of Jesus my marriage to see it represent him as Paul paints a picture that the relationship between a husband and wife is a metaphor of the church. Maybe you want to see your life as you have certain goals you want to reach and you want to change other people's lives in a positive way, and you say, I want to lay this at your feet, Jesus. I don't know how this outcome will happen, but I know you've called me to this mission, and I bring it before you. To take your coat, lay it at his feet, is to say I recognize and proclaim that he is the king. Aaron Sykes puts it well. There's a leadership principle. We've talked about it before. Trade your expectations for appreciation. What does that mean to trade your expectation for appreciation? Well, it's a different feeling expecting something compared to appreciating something. Aaron Sykes says, in one case we feel owed, in the other we feel awed. 
We all have expectations, the way we want somebody to respond, how we want a circumstance to go. Often, things go the opposite way. But if we have an appreciation for every moment to say whatever takes place in life, I know that He is King. He's entered into my life. He's risen indeed and lives now in me. So every moment I can find something to appreciate. And in that place, then, it's not about what I can get. Rather, what is it that I can give? Seeing the beauty moment to moment. Love this translation of Matthew 6.30 by Eugene Peterson. The message. Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, sharing about, don't worry about tomorrow. God will take care of you. And in chapter 6.30, the message reads this. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, here's the key, most of which are never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? God gives such attention to wildflowers, most of which are never even seen. Many translations have the more literal, which are here today and gone tomorrow. But as the message captures the essence, most of them are never seen, but they're still beautiful. You go out to a field today, pull back the grass, you'll find flowers hidden there no eye has seen. Yet they're still just as beautiful as the ones on many people's countertops, you see. Because God cares about the flowers, even the ones most of which are never even seen, which brings us to the spiritual principle. Each of us have been in a place before, perhaps even today, feeling like one who's not been seen. And the promise in Scripture, Jesus says, is just as God sees the flowers nobody else notices, He sees our lives. We matter so much. That's what the Easter promise is, that Jesus gave His life, that we might be free in Him. On the screen here, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes. Beside him, Harry Houdini, the most famous magician of all time. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock Holmes about the detective that used logic to solve crimes. These two men were friends, but as Houdini would share, they stopped spending so much time together because Conan Doyle was convinced Houdini really used magic. Houdini, famous for escaping from chains, sealed crates, even placed underwater and escaping, seemingly doing the impossible. Houdini would tell Conan Doyle, I've just mastered certain skills. It's not magic. And Conan Doyle would say, you're lying. You know real magic. I believe you could walk through walls. Tell me the secrets. And Houdini said it got so frustrating trying to convince Conan Doyle it wasn't magic, it was an illusion. He stopped spending much time around him. Interesting, the power of beliefs, even when they are false beliefs. But this drove Conan Doyle's behavior and his actions. And as we've talked so much, it's the things that we truly believe in our heart of hearts that drive how we think and act and speak. And that's why when we come to Easter, it's a time to stop and say, you know what? Do I really believe He is risen? And do I believe that that matters to my life? Do I believe it so much that I lay at His feet the coat of my commitment 
proclaim that he is king and I am not. You see, because it's not enough to simply have a acknowledgement in our thinking to say, I imagine, you know, Jesus really rose. It has to be in our hearts to say, you know what, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. It's not just something that I think. It's something that truly captures my heart. Joshua Peace said it so well. The hope-centric early church didn't just believe in a kingdom now, but a kingdom to come that conquered death. Ultimately, Scripture says all men held in fear of death until that day when Jesus rose again. And for us to be able to say that fear is gone, that is freedom. Many, many people do not experience because they don't truly embrace in their heart of hearts. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Back to that entry into Jerusalem, we know that Matthew 21, 8, others cut branches from the trees and spread them in the road. As John 12 says, these were palm branches. Why did they wave palm branches that holy week? Back in that early first century, palm branches represented a few things. They represented justice. They also represented victory. They were often waved for the victor at Olympic Games. They were also waved as a celebration at the feasts. And as we know, the feasts all point to Christ. And here at Easter, it's the Passover feast, which he is fulfilling. And Resurrection Sunday fulfills the first fruits as he is the first to rise to never die again, that we might then follow after that same hope. Everything again representing something in our lives so that we can say the message is not just something that I come to this day and take lightly, but rather I simply say, you know what? I want to lay the coat of my life and commitment at his feet. I want to proclaim that he is king of my life, that in him I know promise of justice, I know the promise, victory. I know the promise that he is the fulfillment of these feasts that we read about through the Old Testament scriptures because Christ is the all in all. And again, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Going back to that beginning of Holy Week before his betrayal, as he rode in to Jerusalem, why did he ride in on a donkey? Again, another picture for us. Today, today, experienced. What do you do with a $5 piece of steel? Do you make a $10 horseshoe? Or do you turn it into a quarter million watch spring set? Taking the value of each moment, producing more value. What do we do with the Easter message? It's a time to come together to say, you know what? I want all of him, so I give all of me. Because he lives, he is risen. The first, the last, the beginning, the end. Why did he ride a donkey into Jerusalem on that Holy Week? 
everything has an application for our lives. If you go back to that time, horses were very expensive. And not many people would ride a horse. Normally, it was reserved for royalty. And sometimes kings would ride horses for a conquest. And when they would then conquer a city, they would ride into that city on a horse and they would thus proclaim that they had victory. However, there was a time that kings also would ride a donkey into a city. When they rode a horse, it was a symbol of war. When they rode a donkey, it was a symbol of peace. Why did Jesus ride a donkey into Jerusalem? Just like the coats signified he was king, just like the branches signified victory, the donkey signified he was bringing peace. Peace into our lives. Peace from sin. Peace from the fear of death. Peace from unrest. Peace to know we were reconciled once again unto the Father. That's the beauty of everything taking place throughout Scripture there for us to proclaim and say, you know what, that is life itself. Remember, Peter would proclaim when others walked away. Jesus asked, do you also abandon me? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. All of Scripture is words of life for us today. Luke chapter 15, the famous prodigal son, the parable known so well. Just one verse though, chapter 15, verse 13 of Luke says what? The younger son, the prodigal son, packed up all his belongings and moved. And where did he go? You see, because you and I are that prodigal son. And in this parable, Jesus shares, he's painting a picture The father in the story is God, and we are that prodigal son. And when the prodigal son packs up his belongings, where does he go? Luke 15, 13 says he moved to a distant land. Easter is for all of us, because each of us have gone to a distant land. He went to get as far away from his father as possible. And the distant land represents how each of us have gone to that distant land of selfishness and sin and ego and pride. Compromise. Moving as far away from the truth as we could. You see, but then of course the story ends that the son, he comes to his senses. Literally, it says he got his sanity back. And as he starts to head back home, What happens? He thinks the father will scold him. Rather, the father, of course, runs out and hugs him and throws a royal celebration. And so it is for each of us that the empty tomb shows that it is finished. Christ, that one sacrifice for all time, that we might be brought back from that distant land. Set free from that sin. Scripture even tells us when that moment happens, even the angels in heaven will celebrate that. 
Everything in Scripture pointing and painting a picture for you, for me. As that holy week began, as he rides into town, they lay their coats at his feet to proclaim that he is king. What do we lay at his feet here this day? What are we willing to commit unto him? They wave palm branches to say he is the victorious one. He is the just one. And he is Messiah that fulfills all these feasts. How will we live differently proclaiming he is that victory in our life? That rescued us from a distant land so that we can then live in that freedom from sin and the fear of death. You see, but that's not the end of what was taking place at the beginning of that holy week. Because when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there was another procession taking place as well. The moment as Jesus rode in to Jerusalem, they were also leading into Jerusalem flocks of sheep that they might be used for the sacrifice for Passover. All these sheep being brought in that they might be used to proclaim the consequence of sin is death. But there's life and forgiveness through the blood. Just as John would proclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Palm branches, coats, crowds proclaiming hallelujah. The sheep being led in for the Passover sacrifice of which Christ was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice proclaiming it is finished and then rising triumphantly from the grave and the angel proclaim he is not here he is risen he is risen indeed a few weeks ago i watched a documentary about tim ballard and operation underground railroad strongly encourage you to watch that Operation Underground Railroad, started by Tim Ballard, who was a former CIA agent, and now he spends his life helping to rescue children out of human trafficking. One particular part of that documentary, so incredible, where they rescue this child, and he was kidnapped at five. His captor held him for three years. The horror of such a situation. They finally found out where he was and they went and they rescued this child from this monster. And as they entered into this room, the child there, now eight years old, he ran to the leader of the SWAT team who would say, this child ran up, arms out. I reached down. I scooped him up. I hugged him. He squeezed me tight, trembling. And he whispered in my ear, 
I should not be here. The Easter message is about Christ entering into the darkness, pulling us out of that sin and that fear of death and whispering to us, you should not be here. And He translates us from the darkness into the light, the victorious one, the risen one, rescuing us from sin, Satan, and death that we might proclaim with the angels. He's the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who died and now is alive forevermore. He is risen. He is risen indeed.